Hi, I'm Bill Finn. This is the second part of a two-part interview. Now that the first half of the interview is over, let me be your Sherpa as we leave the comfort of base camp and push for the summit. It's time to get your cramp on. Yeah, it's season three of the Bait and Switch podcast. And we're back at the Bait and Switch podcast for the second half of our interview with Tim Oakland, a returning guest from season two. Today's podcast is going to be a little bit of a departure from our typical podcast. We usually do not do current events in our podcast. My goal has always been for this podcast that it's timeless in the sense that you can listen to any episode at any time. You know, there's no topical thing that we talk about so that if you go back on our archives, it'll hopefully seem just as fresh as a brand new one. But this one will actually have a little bit of a timestamp to it because we are currently in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic. It is late May of 2020. In mid-March of this year, started with uh, lockdowns. And now we're getting towards the end of the mandatory lockdowns. And most states are, are reopening cautiously. There's still some restrictions going on. And there's a lot of debate going on uh, amongst people as to whether we either reacted properly or we overreacted. And if you're listening to this in 2021, 2030, you'll hear a contemporaneous debate here about what was the proper course of action. So I'm going to kind of be the moderator for this. I will say that my personal belief on this is that we've overreacted to some extent, but I'm going to try and play devil's advocate on either side. We got our friend Tim returning. Tim might be a little bit more on the side of that we've gone a little too far, and Jim might be a little bit more on the side that that we're doing the prudent, cautious thing. I'm going to kind of uh, suss out that with some of my questions. So I got 10 questions here, and I'm going to pose them to both guys. I'll start with Jim. Should we have seen this pandemic coming and were we prepared for it? Uh, for just the general public to say that we should have seen it coming or not, I think it's hard to say. We don't know what the government inf had as information. We don't know what China was telling us or wasn't telling us. I think potentially because of Italy, I think maybe we could have reacted a little sooner because it's, I think it's very possible China was giving us garbage information and can't really trust those guys and the numbers are up and down or whatever. But, you know, maybe had we looked at Italy first and seen how things were kind of getting out of hand there, then, you know, maybe we could have taken some steps a little bit earlier. What do you think, Tim? Were we prepared? I, I'm going to say ditto to what uh, Jim said. You said we're, none of us have the information that our government had. You got to kind of watch what you hear in the media and so forth. And I guess I've never really dug into it. It's hard to say whether we acted early enough or not. I will say this, that I agree again with you guys talking about this whole Italy thing. But that being said, I don't remember there being a clamor to shut down until that NBA game. I don't remember March 2nd, people saying, we got to close things. I, do you remember that or not? It hit fast. I went... Um, to Costa Rica, what was that in February? And they started, you know, asking you questions if you went to China at the airports and stuff like that. 
but it was kind of like a new thing. And I don't think anybody really took it too seriously. There was a few people in the airports that were wearing masks at that time and so forth. But uh, I don't know what everybody else was thinking, but I don't think anybody really took it too serious at that point. I guess the first we heard about it was in uh, Trump's uh, uh, State of the Union right after the um, impeachment trial. He brought it up. When was that? January, February? Yeah. yeah. You know, and I also wonder how often do they hear about, hey, this serious thing, this serious thing, and it turns into, I don't want to say nothing, but it isn't quite as bad as what they expected or they, or they wanted to prepare for the worst in case it happened and that kind of thing. Right. So they might be hearing stuff like this all the time. You hear about this with terrorist attacks, right? How come they, they heard they had this information? How come they didn't stop it? Well, they get umpteen thousand leads every day, you know, they right. can follow up on every lead. So morning quarterbacks, you know, right. We really didn't know. We didn't have the information. It was a new thing. And, and we were yep. just kind of um, digesting what we, had, we were hearing at that time, you know. I think right. one thing that, that made us a little less likely to act was that we remembered SARS, remembered MERS, remembered Ebola. Yeah. And none of those things really blossomed into anything too bad. And so we probably right. all thought this was going to be that. Right. Right. And that's, that's why I think the Italy and Spain issues, you know, once we saw that starting getting into Europe and getting pretty serious, then I think, and maybe that is when they started saying, hey, whoa, we got to take this seriously. But when you talk about, start talking about Italy and Spain, I think, at least for me, I start thinking, well, then, you know, they're, they're not too far away from us in terms of medical care and that kind of thing. And so, right. you know, gosh, why wouldn't it be us? And the, um, the second question I'm going to ask is probably the biggest one here, which is generally most Western countries, including the United States, decided on mass quarantines of everybody, the healthy and the vulnerable. Was that a good idea or should there have been more targeted quarantines? Tim? Well, I think in the very beginning they did say, I think they used 60 and older as risk. I know it's gone up to 65 now, but um, in the beginning, they they were pretty clear on who would be more at risk, older people with chronic conditions. They did make clear who was more vulnerable, right. but they decided on mass quarantines as opposed to targeted quarantines. Do you think that was uh, a good tactic, to do mass quarantines? Well, you, we've never done mass quarantines before. This is the first time ever. So we've never quarantined healthy people before. So it was a little bit of an experiment. And obviously, they probably got that trend from what China has had did in uh, um, Italy and other countries. So, you know, embarking on a new, new thing that this country has never tried before. Yeah. Jim, what do you think? I think it was a thing that had to be done uh, at the time. I mean, in the, especially they talk about flatten the curve, the idea that if we can kind of slow the progression of this thing, understanding that we're never going to, we're not going to stop it, but if we can slow it, at least we can, we can manage it and we can, we can prevent deaths that are preventable, right? That's kind of the idea. We don't want to run into a situation where we don't have the, the equipment or the, or the hospital space or to treat the people that we could treat if we did have that space and then they end up dying. Uh, I'm skirting the question. I'm being a real politician, I guess. But um, yeah, No, I think that was a good answer. I mean, that was, that was the basic thing in the beginning. It was flatten the curve. Also, we didn't want to have overflow in hospitals. We, want, we weren't in a position to be really prepared for a, 
for a pandemic. So we wanted to make sure that uh, the infrastructure was was getting formed and that hospitals wouldn't be overrun with COVID-19 patients. And um, so, I mean, that was the initial goals. I think pretty much everybody was on board for that first couple weeks, if not that first month. But once numbers started coming back, they weren't quite as scary. Jim, when was the time to start reconsidering the quarantine, the mass quarantine, uh, in light of the new information? That's a good question. But the uh, unfortunate thing about the mass quarantine for those people who had to make the decision to do that is that if we did it right, we would have low numbers and people wouldn't be dying. That's what we wanted to do. But of course, as soon as that happens, then people say, look, look, everything's fine. Why do we even do this? How come we got to keep doing this? Everything's fine. Well, is it fine because the disease is not as potent as we thought it was? Or is it fine because we haven't been spreading it as much as we could have been had we continued our normal life? So the problem I think that we're running into now is that people uh, know this is out there and nobody wants to get it. And they feel like the way not to get it is not to interact with people, right? But they forget the idea is to flatten the curve. It doesn't mean nobody gets this thing anymore. It doesn't mean, you know, we're all, we're all going to stay away from each other so, be, so nobody gets it. The whole idea is if we get it, it's manageable, it's treatable, uh, you're not having as many people dying unnecessarily. That's the whole right. idea. So, so you do have to open up. The challenge now, though, and like Tim said, was this has never been done before. So the problem is if, and I don't think this really happened, if everybody stayed in their little pods and nobody interacted like they were supposed to, as soon as you let them interact, well, now you have a potential for that spike again. So how do you release the people slow enough to the point where you don't spike that curve? The whole idea was flatten the curve, or did we just shift the spike? Of course, a true quarantine wasn't possible. They still allowed people to go to grocery stores and Target. And right. so could never truly have a, a true quarantine. People sure. are going to interact. Well, I, I think they were correct, you know, the federal government leaving it up to the states because... The metropolitan areas, like you guys live in Milwaukee, are definitely hot spots. They should have different opening um, standards than, say, Montana, which, what, what has there been, one death in Montana? So their relative risk is very low. How many, what is it, nine states that never did close? Is that right? Yeah. About nine I, states? I think it was like, yeah, seven to nine. What is your current understanding of the mortality rate? I, I believe early on that the World Health Organization pegged it at about 3.5% of the people that got it were going to die. Uh, that number's been scaled back. What do you think the true number is going to be once it all comes out in the end? Well, I just hope that uh, those numbers are accurate. <laughs> I mean, everybody is well, always... Those numbers, be, actually, like know. I said, those that 3.5% that is a high estimate. What, I know. what do you think? And I, you, know, you know, Chris, I'm not a conspiracy guy, and so it bothers me when I hear these things, and I want to... You know, we see patients that work in, in hospitals, and um, I'm in the Bell City of uh, Mount Pleasant Racine area. You ever hear that term, Bell City? No. no. Yeah, they call Racine the Bell City. I think it goes back to pioneer days. But anyway, you know, we've got some hospitals here, and so I treat a lot of nurses and doctors and stuff, and they've laid a lot of them off. And you hear people that are working in the hospital. I don't know if you've heard this, Chris, but several people saying that they're labeling people COVID-19, so they get more federal funds. 
Now, I like to think that that can't be true. I want to believe that the numbers are accurate, you know. I do know that the, the right believes that fewer people are dying from this than is officially reported, and the left generally believes more people are dying. And from I don't it. even think it's right and left, because I got some very liberal friends that work in hospitals, too, that have said these things to me. So I don't think it's a right or left thing. Um, you, you know, you, you want to believe in the numbers. You really do, because that's yeah. really all we have. I, I would hope that uh, they're not labeling people COVID-19, you know, say, and who was it, Elon Musk, that came out last week and said the average age of people that die from COVID-19 is about the same as the average lifespan. So they're labeling people as COVID-19 deaths that maybe died of a heart attack. Maybe they also had COVID-19. I don't know. I, I don't really know, you know, the accuracy of the numbers. There's always going to be a scientific error in that too, but. The uh, statistic that, that I heard that is what you're talking about is they say the average age of people that die from COVID is higher than the average age of people who die. Which is even scarier. I said it was about the same, but it's within a year or two. That's kind of crazy when you think of it, and I'm guessing that's in the 80s. 70% of the deaths have been in, in uh, nursing homes, so definitely need to protect the people that are vulnerable, you know? Right. Uh, Jim, uh, now this is another thing that's coming out right now is school in September. Do you think they should reopen schools in September? You know, September's a long way away, especially the way this thing has progressed. I mean, it's every day you're hearing something new. You know, in the last week or two, there have been reports of this Kawasaki syndrome with kids who, who contract this virus and this potential for this inflammation thing that they don't know about. I think, I think there's so many unknowns. Not trying to skirt the issue. I think um, right now, and maybe this is jumping the gun for another question you have, but I think the most important thing to focus on is treatment of this thing. If they have a solid treatment where they can prevent most of the deaths or, or you know, help people get through this, sort of like a Theraflu type of thing, you know, right. um, then I think that goes a long way to saying, yeah, okay, open schools. I mean, everybody knows the schools are the spreaders of all the disease. I mean, you know, the kids pick each other's noses and all this other stuff, you know, so then they take it home. And, and so could be potentially be a trouble spot in spreading the whole thing. Knowing what you know now, would you open schools tomorrow? No, I don't think I would. Hey, Chris, or, uh, Jim, let me ask you this question. Yeah. What, do you th what is the number one determining factor when a healthy person is exposed to the COVID-19, whether they're going to get sick or get the symptoms or get it, basically? What's the, well, we don't know, as far as I know. We do, though. It's a history of being exposed to viruses because there is a crossover effect. If you've had the uh, COVID-19 virus, you've got the best immunity if you're a healthy person. The COVID virus is very similar to the common cold, they say. They're both coronaviruses. It's also not that much different than SARS-1. So if you have a history of being exposed, and this is for a healthy person, obviously if you're immune compromised, this doesn't work. Yeah. But for a healthy person, there is a crossover effect with viruses. So if you have a virus that's similar to the COVID-19, you're less likely to get COVID-19. Um, if you've had COVID-19, you're less likely to get the common cold. And you've probably heard the herd, uh, what, what do they call that? Herd, herd immunity. immunity or whatever. Mm -hmm. 80, 90% of the population um, with antibodies and it'll pretty much go away. Um, so 
and you know the the thing you said about uh, schools, you know, spreading the viruses. Um, Chris, you heard about the study in Australia or the, the numbers in Australia. Yeah. And what are they like three, four months ahead of us with this? And they have opened up everything and they've also opened up schools and gone back to school and they haven't seen a, I don't want to use the word spike or resurgent. Yeah. I, I know there is yet to be a confirmed case of a child transferring this illness to an adult. Well, I didn't know that, but I yeah. do know this, the mortality rate. How do they know that? The mortality rate in children is close to zero. In New York State, which has had the most uh, deaths uh, in any state, so far there's been exactly zero deaths of children under 18. And Jim said, you know, how would you know that? That was done through early contact tracing in right. countries that got it to start with, and they've yet to find uh, any child that transmitted this to an adult. And it has to do with how the virus behaves in somebody that's younger. Mm -hmm. Right. So kids under 18, very, very, very you know, low death rates and that kind of thing. And now this, this other syndrome pops up. And I understand that, you know, there's a lot of times you'll see in the news, oh, here's a news story. Here's a guy who was 42, perfectly right. healthy, bodybuilder. He got it. He almost died. Okay. The percentages of those people obviously are very low, but it looks high when you put it in the news, right? So, so I understand it may be a situation where 50 a hundred kids out of 20 million got this thing and now it's in the news because of this thing? Or is it something that's progressing that we just don't know enough about this thing for? I've seen the stories about this Kawasaki syndrome and I think they've irresponsibly led off the nightly news with a syndrome that far less number of kids are going to get hurt by this than get coconuts dropped on their head. This Kawasaki syndrome is so... Wait, that's happening too? Hold What's on, that? that's happening? The coconut well, thing is got, happening we, too? We, we got a quarantine. Is, folks, uh, <laughs> uh, you know. No palm trees. The media has yeah. hooked up this new thing with children in regards to the syndrome. And right now there's no direct link that COVID is causing this problem. Yet they're trying to, I believe, scare people into demanding that school not start in September. I think it's media showing advocacy for a, a point of view, which I've got a problem with. I, I guess my, my question really is, to what end? Like why, it, it's the same thing with like, you know, our governor gets a lot of crap for, for what he's been doing. And they say, oh, it's just political, this political. How can that be a political? This is a political suicide. There's no way a politician would do something like this, tank his own economy, Okay. It just, just in Let me order to you this, uh, Jim. Yeah. <laughs> no, I I agree with you because I'm not a conspiracy person either. But you know, you've you've heard why people think they're doing this. They don't want the they want the con economy to tank because it gives them power, and it ab absolutely helps their case for getting rid of Trump. I don't want to believe in that either because I would th hope that they have their people's best interest in mind. But that's what you hear from that, that side. And it's, it's bad because people do make this a political thing. You know, which, I, which I is like crap, think, right? I mean, I'd like to think that politicians aren't motivated by power. I mean, we all, all would like to think that they represent us and they're, they're doing what they feel is best for the majority of people. You know, there is a relative risk with opening up, but there's also a big risk of shutting down the economy. And, you know, yeah. two to three weeks is one thing, but two to three months, it's like, you know, yeah. how long is it going to take the economy to get better? And 
more people are going to die. That is the fact. You, you're absolutely right, Jim. More people are going to die. No, I didn't say that. You know, that's that argument. You yeah, know, right. people die, you know, are going to yeah. die and uh, we're going to yeah. have a resurgence. And yeah, we are. But also, you know, we're going to, you have young kids and it's like, we're going to start uh, running up this debt. What they say, like yeah. they started with three trillion. It, yeah. it, that's a hard con, and now it's five trillion. They're talking about stimulus yeah. package, and it's just like we're going to burden generations after this. Uh, the way we handle this, and and there are going to be more deaths if we open up the economy. But there's also going to be, you know, there's pe there's families starving right now because of this thing. There's businesses that yep. are going out of business. There's people that are losing their jobs. So um, we're so focused on the COVID nineteen that we're letting a lot. We're going to let a lot of other things happen that are pretty insidious for this nation as well. You know, right? So on Facebook, you see these people, the civil liberties, da 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 da. And I completely understand, especially. I mean, when your back's against the wall, and I mean, I'm furloughed. I've been furloughed for a month. I'm furloughed for another month. I mean, so I, I'm right there with all, you know, and I understand opening businesses and and doing it responsibly. What I don't understand. And maybe, I don't know what camp you guys are in with this. So maybe I should shut my mouth before I know. But what I don't understand is people who don't want to wear masks. Okay, if a mask helps, which I think to a certain extent it has to. It's not going to help me, right? It's going to help projecting all the whatever spit and, and all that stuff, right? If that helps, if you can do that and it's going to help, why are people so uptight about this? Why are they so against this? I agree with you. If it's a... If it helps in the least amount, you know, it makes sense and stuff. I think the, um, the distancing and all that stuff is great, you know, and you have to respect that six foot, what is it, six feet or whatever. Six, six, yeah. and, you know, and I agree with all that stuff. It really depends on how people are, are bent to begin with, you know. If they really feel like the federal government should not dictate your behavior and this and that, they're good. They're going to fight this thing, you know, and I understand their position too, because they see it as a slippery slope. They see it as, Oh, I start giving up the, the right to not wear a mask. And pretty soon what other rights that I have as a person, are they going to take away? Uh, a couple of things. One, as you reference Facebook, I think a lot of arguments go on in Facebook that don't happen in real life. Right. Uh, I've been out there and I don't see people battling over face masks. Mm -hmm. I have yet to see, an argument in real life regarding a face mask. Um, I agree with Chris on that. I don't but, think but, even the other side has a big problem with that, but there are that small group of people that maybe do because they think that's a civil liberty or whatever they're giving and, up. But here's here's yeah, where and, I see it, though. Here's yeah. where I see it. And it's not, a, it's not a battle. It's not a words battle. It's not an argument. I went to Costco a month ago when they didn't have their mandatory mask in place. Right. And it was 50-50. So it's just people saying, F you. I'm not wearing a mask. So to me, that's, that's what I see is that, that's, that, that's, the, that's the argument. I'll say this, the whole thing that they're saying, F you, by not wearing a mask, I don't think it's that strong. I just think it's people that, that don't think it's as important or people that forget or people that, like I said, well, I've yet. Okay. I agree with Chris on this okay, because, okay, but then, because, then, I, because I'm going into stores now. And I'll tell you what, I go to Costco as well. And you have to wear a mask there. But I go in some stores where you don't, grocery stores, you don't have to wear a mask either. I think people are very respectful. There's a lot of people wearing masks. The majority of people are wearing masks right now. There's a lot of people given that six-foot distance. 
um, just seeing people with masks um, reminds me of, you know what, I'm not going to get too close to this person. A lot of it is, is just social pressure that even right. people that think the whole mask thing is a bunch of kabuki theater, that they do it just so that they don't stick out. Right. Yeah. And, and I think I agree with Jim in the sense that it seems like whatever side you're on, the other side is digging in deep, you know, in their heels when I think there's a lot more people that are just kind of like middle of the roads and they're like, oh, you know what? We got to balance the economy with uh, not exposing people that are risk and, and so forth. So I think most people are um, reasonable. When I go out, I see, a, you know, I'm going back to my gym now and working out and uh, they've taken a lot of precautions. Jim, I just want to get back to that. Yeah. Have you, because I have not, and I think Tim is saying the same thing, I have not seen anybody in public debate or be disrespectful of anybody in regards to this coronavirus. I'm trying to think if I've been to the grocery store other than Costco, but I, I don't think I have. But I know in walking, everybody's aware of, hey, if somebody's coming up on me, I walk in the middle of the road if I have to, I get around them. It feels really stupid, but you have to assume everybody's got this thing. And that's why I'm saying with the mask. So, so these guys, okay, and, and we're, you're going on the, on the premise that, you know, if you had a discussion with a guy in person, you wouldn't probably, most people wouldn't argue with you about this mask thing. But some people don't wear masks. And then they are the same people who ask, why does the government tell me to do stuff? If a mask is going to lower this whole thing and you won't do it, that's why the government has to step in and say, hey, now it's a law, okay? You forced our hand. If you would all just do it, then we wouldn't have a problem. But that's why the government steps in and does stuff because people won't do it on their own. Do you think that uh, if we hadn't had the mandatory quarantine and the, and the social distancing, if the government hadn't come out and said social distance, do all this stuff, you think more than 50% would do that on their own? I think a significant portion of people would. I think that the government essentially made a mistake in the beginning by not emphasizing uh, vulnerable populations and hyper-quarantining those people and posting guards at nursing homes and testing anybody that went into a nursing home and talking about guidelines regarding people with diabetes and people with, with asthma and allergies, getting very specific with and targeted with their quarantines, then I think people would have respected it. But this general quarantine that's got such vague rules, it led people to question the efficacy of it. Yeah. Don't you think, too, that the government could spend more time balancing these restrictions with empowering people to make right choices too. You know, you've heard that those testings they're doing with uh, people that get COVID-19, most of them are deficient in vitamin D. And then also if you're exercising, if obviously you don't want to be obese because that puts you at a higher risk. If we could get people to a lot of common sense solutions and preventative ways as well as you know, stocking up on your vitamin D, your C, and your zinc. Also, um, exercising, because if you exercise, you're less likely to get COVID-19. And if you get COVID-19, if you exercise, you will get rid of it faster. Um, these are all pretty basic things. You know, you're talking about disinfectants. Best disinfectant is oxygen. Obviously, one of our first defenses is uh, hydrogen peroxide, H2O2. And our body can make that, you know, so our body's own immune system has a lot of things it can do. We need to empower people to 
start making good choices as well as um, wearing the masks and, and that sort of thing. And I think a lot of times we don't spend enough time on those types of things that everybody can do and you can empower people with that. But, you know, I, I totally agree with you. Here's the issue, Tim. We're the most obese we've ever been. Healthcare companies have had to come in and say, look, if you don't do this, this, and this, then you're going to have higher rates because so many people don't take the opportunity to take care of themselves. People don't so, want to take so, responsibility either. Right. And, and, that, and that's the thing. And that's why they have to have other authority come in and say, hey, you got to do this. It's kind of for your own good, but it's- I agree with everything you're saying, Jim. All I'm just saying is we need to balance it. I guess what I'm saying is, you know, you're, you're saying things that are, are basically like, hey, keep yourself healthy. Right. Well, that's no different than any other time and, and, and people don't do it. So now yeah. what do you do? You know, as a government, like if you're in the government's position, now what do you do? People right. don't use that empowerment to help themselves. So what do you do? Oh, well, good luck. I mean, no, no, you're not going to say good luck because it just doesn't work that way. So now you come and say, okay, well, now we're going to say you have to, it's like a parent, right? I have to tell you this, you're not making the right decisions. I've got to make some decisions for you now. Yeah. And then you're not going to like it. And then you're going to write, yell about your civil liberties. Blah, 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 blah. It, then do it, you know, then, then, then be healthier. Yeah. And I'll say this honestly, and again, you might disagree, but I think by and large, the American public has followed uh, most of these guidelines and has, I'm not talking about their health, but in terms of social distancing and staying home. And it really took about a month before people started protesting and yep. to get a whole uh, nation to uh, uh, buckle down for a month. I think, I think we did pretty good. Oh, I, I agree. And, and like I said, too, I, I certainly understand there's, there's a bunch of things, you know, the mental aspect of this whole thing. This is a little personal note, but the last couple of days I've had like some, what I would feel like were depression symptoms. I mean, like, you know, up and down roller coaster, like really down, then just be normal. And then like all of a sudden, and for no reason, I mean, like, you know, so I can relate to that. I can certainly understand the, the, the loss of income and like now you're back against the wall and people start to get scared. Of course, you know, it's their livelihood, it's their family. They're going to come out, you know, they feel like they're backing into a corner. I get all that. I'm saying my, 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 uh, my stand now is with the mask. Fine, fine. Open the things up. Everybody who's opening up that I've seen, except for a couple of stupid bars on the news, right? Has, has like, look, two bar seats between you. Um, we're only opening up these booths, all these things that are very, uh, careful to, to go with the social distancing guidelines. I'm saying just throw a dang mask on, you know, and, and because they're saying that this will prevent a lot of this, a lot of these things, we, we will not have to worry about the spread nearly as much just by wearing a mask. I wear the mask largely out of courtesy. I do think there's a certain hubris that people are showing that they think they can stop the spread of this virus, this microorganism, Right. with a few masks and plexiglass shields. Right. I, I think to some no, extent we're lying to ourselves. And honestly, right. that's the debate too, you know, because you get some health experts that say that uh, it has little or no effect and it's given people false confidence and everything. But I kind of agree with the mental aspects of the mask. It makes people feel more comfortable getting out and it makes people feel more comfortable if they go to a restaurant and their waitress has got a mask on. From just a pure mental standpoint, maybe that's a good idea. I, I want to wrap it up with just a couple questions. I'll bring up two countries. First, Sweden. Sweden doing the right thing or the wrong thing? Jim? 
you know, they're, they're just letting basically uh, life as, as usual, right? That's, that's what they're doing. Not, actually, not really. Down. Sweden actually did what I mentioned in the beginning, which is targeted quarantines okay. and government right. recommendations, but no government mandates. They said, okay. be smart about it. Keep your social distancing. We're going to keep the primary schools open. We're going to quarantine the vulnerable. And people can go to get their haircuts and go to restaurants and get together in groups of 50 or less. So that was kind of how they did it. Okay. Yeah. So there's the hyper quarantine you were saying? People and their numbers are pretty similar to Norway. They're a little bit worse, but Norway closed down and, and uh, Sweden didn't. And uh, there's not that much difference between the numbers. Is that, is that Actually, there, there's a pretty significant difference between Norway and Sweden. Sweden, relative to its Nordic neighbors, has got higher rates, but of course you'd expect that. With right. society but there's still, Norway. Sweden was better than all the other European, like they were better than France, Belgium, right. a lot right. of the other countries that did shut down. So, And they, they stated that this was not part of their original plan, but this is what it's turning into, mm-hmm. which is the idea of herd, herd immunity, letting people get the virus that are younger and healthier and uh, develop antibodies and so that you can stop the spread of the virus uh, in that country by having more people have it, the right people get it. Jim, I'd imagine, you know, what we talked about this before, yeah. your idea is that going for this herd immunity is going to result in too many deaths. Well, let me ask you this. My, well, my question is, when did they start social distancing and that kind of thing? And, and how much are they doing with that? Because if they're just hanging around like normal, I think that could get them in trouble at some point just because of the spike we talked about, right? I mean, and it, it all depends. If they said early on, hey, stay far away from each other, and their people are like, oh, okay, fine. We'll stay, we'll stay a little bit farther away from each other. And, you know, I don't know if they're wearing, I don't think they're wearing masks, not from anything I saw. No, um, they're not really. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, so then, I agree with Jim on this, and I don't know if you said it specifically, so I don't want to put words in your mouth. But <laughs> I, think, I think we do have to look at the numbers, and I do think we have to um, – see what the response is once we do start opening things up and we could always pull back on it. And in areas where they're not seeing a resurgence or a spike and so forth, we need to educate people and use the bully pulpit to let people know the safeguards and stuff and the things you should do with social distancing. But also in certain rural areas, especially, you know, where there's hardly any cases of this, you know, we need to be able to get the economy going and rolling and, uh, and opening things up, you know? Yep. I certainly understand wanting to get the economy going. And, and if, if we do it safely and, and, you know, with the, with the distancing and again, not to have that spike, right. To ha- right. If we still have the distancing and we don't have everybody just piling into a, a clump together, you know, and where all of a sudden, you know, you got 50,000 people in Milwaukee, you got it. Okay. Then we're in trouble. Right. But if you, if you can spread that out and slow that and slow that progression, I think that's best case scenario. I think let that's all you can really you, ask. Let for. me ask you this question, Jim. Do you think sometimes, like um, in the Bell City here, I, I've heard we've had a little bit of a resurgence and so forth. Do you think that could have more to do with free testing and so forth? Because um, I'm hearing on the radios now, go down to Festival Hall for, for free testing. Burlington has free testing. It's like, we didn't hear that a month ago. Right. So I just think there's so many more people being tested. And you know what the beautiful thing is? I actually have heard for the first time on the radio, I think it was Wednesday, that they actually said, well, this many people tested positive in Racine County, but they also said how many people tested negatively. Because you don't usually hear that from the media. You think that, it's, it, that they're, they're trying to influence because people have a trouble 
have trouble putting things in perspective. They'll hear 11 deaths in the last two weeks in Racine County. And they don't realize we have 350,000 people, you know, yeah. so that shakes them to the core right. and probably makes them more fearful than they really need to be. Yeah, I think uh, a couple of things about that. I think the fact that y you can't look at the number of positive tests for exactly that reason, right? right? That all of a sudden the tests are more available. People are going to get these tests. Oh, they're testing positive, testing positive. Okay, you know, I, I was sort of puzzling this out with Harper the other night. And the only thing I could come up with is what, what might be the most important statistic is how many people are being hospitalized for this. Right. Because, yeah. And so if that is starting to spike, if that's going up on a, on a steep curve, well, now right. we might, now we got to be careful. We might have a problem. Now we got to pull back the reins a little bit. Right. Yeah. And right. in all honesty, hospitalizations have not been a problem outside of New York metro area, Boston, Detroit, and New Orleans. Outside of that. Quarantine worked. What's that? That's what you can say the quarantine worked then. Oh, they didn't do that in uh, New York, but, Pennsylvania. Well, New I'll Jersey. say this. That, that was a problem. And what is there? Some lawsuits going on now? Because wasn't it New York that sent COVID-19 positive people into the nursing homes and so forth. Right. They did it in New Jersey and Pennsylvania as well. That well, was the wrong thing to do. And the Como has switched that in New York this week. That just seems like a really bad decision. Well, I will argue with Jim. You said the quarantine worked. There were more cases in Wisconsin before there was even a case in New York City. So we had time for this thing to build up in Wisconsin. Did the quarantine work? I'd argue that it had minimal to no effect in Wisconsin because it was here before that. And uh, New York got it and they got their spike and we didn't get a spike. And, and I'll tell you on a, a positive spike. note, one thing that has come off of this that is a positive thing for the future is we do have a better infrastructure now. They are getting better with the testing. And I think we are going to be more prepared when we do have a resurgence, when we start opening things up. And those are all good things. My last question here for you guys is Trump says we got to make sure that the cure is not worse than the disease. And there's a lot of people that believe that it's baked in the cake now that the quarantines have caused the cure to be worse than the disease, not only in the short term in terms of people being furloughed, in terms of, of alcoholism and suicide depression, but in terms of economic malaise that could last for for years and decades that could cause mortality rates to spike from other things and that the deaths from the quarantine could dwarf what happened it with the disease do you give that any credence jim you know honestly um i and i don't mean to skirt the skirt the question i, I don't think we can say that yet i think i of think once I, I think once we open completely open and go back to normal if this thing is as bad as everybody said it was, we're going to have more problems, right? And then we're going to have more deaths and all this kind of stuff. And, and, and we'll, we'll really get to see what is this thing all about, I think. I don't think it has a 3.5% death rate. I don't think it has that. But even if it's got, what, a 1%, one and a half, that's, what is that? Uh, that's the flu. Ten, 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 no, no, the flu, the flu is like, it's real close to the flu now. The numbers are coming real close to the flu. The flu is 0.1, and the highest estimate I've heard for this currently is 0.5. The reason that this is more deadly than the flu is because it's more contagious. 
Okay. Well, it's going to be more contagious because we haven't had this in the system. So people Correct. don't have yeah. antibodies. Yeah. So that's just a given. And it's different than the flu too. It does attack the respiratory system more. It's more risky for, for the elderly, although a lot of the elderly die of the flu as well. I'll yeah. let Jim get back to his point. Okay. You were building up to something, Jim. You were saying. Oh, I was, I was just saying that um, it's, it's got potential to be, to be bad if we, if we let it get out of control. The I second agree. wave. Right. If people start seeing like we're six feet away, but eh, we're three feet away, eh, we're two feet away, eh, we're crowded in a bar. If those things start to spike, we talked about the hospitalization rates and all that stuff. If we start to see that going up and we don't do anything about it, I think think we're going to have a a big, big problem. Honestly, I think what this country needs is, and it'll sound bad, we need more infections. We need more people in our younger age groups to mill around, to be together. Younger, healthier people need to go out and mingle and get this thing. Right, so you're the, with the, the, the chicken pox thing, right? Where, but yeah, all that has to be balanced out. It really does. I, I'll say this, that people now that are elderly and have got comorbidities, they have to know by now that they need to have a strict adherence to the quarantine. Right. But if you're 25 and healthy, you should not be afraid of this. The more Absolutely. T- you know, what was that... Uh, Hong Kong flu during Woodstock, you know, so we had a pandemic during that and the young people were just going nuts. What was that? 67, 68? 69, yeah. But here's, how many people did that kill? 300, 400,000, something like that. We'll not get even close to that with this thing, but we didn't have near as many people in the United States then. That's something I learned from this. I'd never realized that Woodstock was during the Hong Kong flu, but even H1N1 or whatever, the mm-hmm. SARS, bird one, flu. no mm-hmm. bird flu, Asian flu. I guess that's why in the very beginning when I heard about this, I didn't really give it that much uh, seriousness, you know? Mm-hmm. We definitely know it's a serious thing now, and uh, I think as a country, we've reacted very well. I think we've reacted better than we ever would have reacted in the past. There's a lot of positives to take from this, too, and I just think that the future is going to be just fine, you know, and I think having the infrastructure in place now, we're going to be more ready for this, but we definitely have to balance that with the economy and not put all our eggs in the COVID-19 basket, but also realize that we got to be smart. Like what Jim said, we got to do it in a very conscientious way. There's a lot of nuances to this, this disease and it's a complex issue and we got to just fight it the best we can. And I think the American people have really, you you hear a lot of division and stuff, but you know, we got to fight this together. Let me ask you guys this. If you get it, are you scared? I'm not. I have no fear of it whatsoever because no. I'm a healthy, pretty much a healthy dude, you know. I had the swine flu. I was sick for a couple of days. I was miserable, but I got through it. I think the stat I heard, the death rate for people under 30 for this year's model of the flu, you know, the COVID-19, is the same as last year's flu. And so if you're afraid of the flu and you're 30 years old this year, you should have been afraid last year. Right. I think I heard that under the age of 21, the flu kills more people than COVID-19. Correct. So we definitely have to look at the groups that are at risk and we have to quarantine them for longer and people need to educate themselves on this. And and if they don't feel comfortable, if they feel like they're in in the risk group and stuff, um, they need to be cautious about getting out there again. But as far as me, and I don't know how you feel, Chris, but I have no fear of getting this at all. Because I really feel like, number one, if I did get it, you know, two days to a week tops, and I'd be fine, and I'd have the antibodies, and, you know. 
I think if you go out and go to the grocery store, as we all do, or go to Costco, as we all do, we stand a chance of getting it. I don't think there's anybody out there other than people that never leave one room right. that can truly say that they're not putting themselves at risk. And so you can't lead your life in one room. You can't. Everybody just has to accept that there's a good chance you're going to get this. Right. And there is a relative risk, but there's a relative risk for all kinds of diseases. And people want to say that, well, you could be a carrier or this or that. I remember my senior year of basketball and, uh, you know, we're all drinking out of the same uh, water bottles and a couple guys got mono and that's highly contagious. And uh, I never got sick, but I was a carrier and all Mm -hmm. kinds of of these, you know, viruses and, and bacteria and stuff are contagious. So you're at risk for a lot of things. And, it, and I think sometimes we've definitely put maybe for good reasons, a lot of focus on this COVID-19. But there's a lot of other things that are killing people too: cancer, flu, and all these things. And I, I agree with Jim in the fact that we need to look at all different sources, you know, therapy type of things, uh, preventative, but even if we get a vaccination, because people think that's the end all too. And it's like, yeah, how good is that working on the flu? It, it right. is a virus right. and it's not that much different. So maybe 50% mm-hmm. of the population will get that. Um, I don't think we should make it mandatory because you hear that. Um, I think that would be a big mistake. But even so, that's not 100% immunity either, you know. I want to kind of wrap it up. I want to thank uh, Tim for coming on tonight. Yeah, thanks, Tim. Oh, thank you. Thank you, guys. It was it a was very good conversation, and uh, yeah. you guys both articulate your points very good. So it, it's, I think there's a lot, lot of things, even though we have a little bit different posture and perspective, I think we all agree on the majority of what um, each one of us were talking about. All right. Well, let's uh, count it down to the music here. So let's, uh, we're going to count down three, two, one, and we'll get started here. So here we go. Three, three two, two, one. <laughs> More Maker's Mark. Music. All right. <laughs> he, was, he was counting back in, in Norwegian. Norwegian, yeah. So. yeah. <laughs> and, toe, tray, tro, tray, toe, and. I could still count backwards in Norwegian. We don't, we don't need to I think they do that, that in the sobriety. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thanks again, Tim. All right. Thanks, Jim. All right. Thanks, Chris. Join us next time on the Bait and Switch podcast when we talk to Chris Bowens about the correct protocol to follow when you have coronavirus. So I'm getting hungry, but because I'm so hot, I want something cold, like a nice salad, a fruit salad. I do think the CDC does recommend a fruit salad. Like early March, they were saying fruit salad. Yeah, wash your hands, fruit salad, the whole bit. Absolutely.